Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Backups just in case something goes out. Oh, and just by the way, I'll cut this out and start here recording. For the past two weeks, for whatever reason, my internet will sometimes hang and I'll freeze or you'll freeze. And but it's it lasts like five to ten seconds and then we come back. So just I'm still here, just if it happens, just give it a second. So I don't but anyway, all right. Um, well, thanks for being here. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going tonight? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about all the things. Yeah, I love talking about health, fitness, some nutrition, which that's kind of a dogma, kind of a conversation, depending on who you're talking with. But it's just fun for me to talk about just because I have the whole background of it. You know, I coach CrossFit. Uh, I compete in it. I love it. But that's we're not here to talk about me. And I, that's why I wanted to talk to you. So uh, before we get going too far, why don't you give everyone a you know nice little gist of your background before we start going too crazy? Absolutely. So hi, everybody. My name is Allie Cass. I'm a functional health and fitness coach. And I've been in the industry for almost eight years now. I think it's been I don't know where time goes, but it's been Mm -hmm. a great ride so far. I growing up was an athlete. So physical fitness, competition, sport, all of that was very much a part of who I was a big value for me in life. But like most people, I knew nothing about nutrition. I knew nothing about taking care of myself uh, more from a holistic standpoint. And that was really evident to me when I went to college, I played basketball for a couple of months at a D3 school, decided it was no longer for me. So I decided to quit and pursue other things. Part of the other things that I decided to pursue was drinking a lot of margaritas, eating terrible food and just living a terrible lifestyle like most college kids do. And um, I quickly found myself you know, not not feeling my best, um, being somewhat overweight, just feeling super lethargic, very tired, very reliant on energy drinks or coffee. And um, fast forward a couple months after I graduated college, my mom was diagnosed with stage three brain cancer. So I moved across the country. It was very sudden. I became one of her caregivers along with my father. And it was one of the most challenging um, periods of my life, uh, basically being her caregiver until the end of her life about a year, nine months to a year later. And um, in that process, though, I really learned the importance of taking care of yourself and not only for yourself, but so that you can show up as your best self for everyone else around you. So I think a lot of people think it's selfish to, you know, put their health first, to prioritize their fitness, um, to make those things part of their daily routine. But in reality, it, it actually benefits everyone else that you come in contact with every single day. So ever since then, I, I kind of fell into what I call 
the like biggest rabbit hole of my whole life. And I'm just like really deep in the rabbit hole still. And I don't anticipate that I will ever get out. <laughs> so here I am. Um, yeah. Eight years later, uh, helping other women to basically transform their lives through health and fitness and to, to really help them get to that next level of who they want to be. Damn. That was a lot. Like <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You, you didn't ask for the short version. No, so. <laughs> that's fun. Um, I just had a couple, well, I had a couple talking points in my head while you were talking, but hopefully I'll remember them as we talk. But anyway, I guess my first one was though, was, um, with your mom, was there any signs of the stuff coming up or was it just, Hey, it just happened all of a sudden you had to deal with it. Yeah. And that's a great question. It was pretty sudden. So I think she started exhibiting symptoms about three months prior to her formal diagnosis. So she was otherwise a very, you know, healthy, at least seemingly on the outside person, um, mm -hmm. which is what made, I think the diagnosis that much harder to kind of swallow, but she did start to have seizures just very randomly. Like, um, I think she had maybe three or four of them prior to her diagnosis, but it wasn't a consistent thing. She would have one, we'd go to the hospital. Um, they would tell her that, you know, she just had swelling of the, the brain tissue and that's what was causing it. And, you know, nothing ever really came about from that until three or four months later, and it kind of happened two or three more times. Um, and things each time it happened seemed to progress a little bit more. And then, you know, obviously we went into more of a diagnosis mode. Yeah, that's one of the things. And I guess these last few years, and I don't know if it's because of COVID or what, but along with the whole health and fitness and thing, I've been more interested in the brain and how it works and, you know, things that we can be doing you know, to keep, I guess, good, I guess, mental health. Is that the right word? I mean, mm -hmm. just brain cognitivity, I guess. And just that, and stuff like that just kind of, and I was like, and I'm like you, when I see people who are having, or like going through something like that, it's like, man, you know, what can I do to kind of prepare myself and try to prevent everything from happening that something like that happening. But it's almost a lot of information for people to take in, especially for me, especially for when you're fully going into just learning about the brain and all the interfunctions and then, Take going down rabbit holes of like, oh, you know, you should be taking, you know, lion's mane. You should be doing challenges every day that keeps the brain going or whatever. Does that kind of make sense? And yeah, it, and it always like that started to play more of an issue in my life is like learning more about that rather than just the actual go work out, you know, eat whatever you're eating. It's just for fuel for your body and live that part of the healthy life. Because how did you always, I think, mm, some people forget about that part of it, you know, the inside or inside workings of the body rather than just, oh, it's the, va the vanity approach. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I, that's really all about my, like, that's the approach I take now. So I, when I started getting into this field, I had a trainer and a coach who convinced me to go into bodybuilding and it was great at the time, but I very much started in that kind of place of vanity, um, body transformation, all of that, which was all fine and great. And that's still part of what I do um, because that's what a lot of women want. But my goal when I have someone come in as a client is to, you know, educate them on really what's going on underneath the hood and um, educate them on the fact that, you know, it really doesn't matter if you have a six pack or you look a certain way, if you're not feeling and functioning your best, and we're not also setting you up to have optimal health from a longevity perspective, then like, what's the point, you know, like who cares if you look great, if you don't feel great. And if you don't have that foundation to, um, you know, potentially have at least better quality of life for the long term and, and even extending the life. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, especially when you talk about the brain and how, um, nutrition, how exercise, how sleep, um, that, and that was one of the things when my mom got sick, I started doing a ton of self-research, really asking like, why, like, that was the question I wanted to know, right? Like, why does someone who never gets sick get a diagnosis like this? And of course the doctors, they can't tell you, they're like, we don't know. And you're like, great. <laughs> that makes, you know, three of us. So, um, yeah, you know, I just, I started really looking even as deep as like environmental toxins and all the things that we either expose ourselves to by choice or that we're exposed to in our environment, um, how emotions, beliefs, past traumas, how that affects us at a physiological level and how, you know, all of that really interplays to basically affect your health one way or the other. Yeah, I became, it, it, hmm, yeah, it just, it seems like it's become more popular in talking about I guess the brain and just cognitive abilities and, you know, cause there's so many signs of now that's coming out from, you know, NFL and even soccer with, you know, CTE protocols. And I know that's kind of different from, you know, what we were just talking about, but it just seems to be more health awareness with the brain and just that it's 
a lot more information coming out, kind of what I said earlier about, you know, you know, like microdose, take lion's mane, you know, use some sort of, I don't know, ayahuasca, like psychedelic things just in order to, and I don't, this is not about that, but this is um, in order to like, you know, relive or what is that? Make amends with these traumas that you might have. And that might be affecting your brain and, and what you're living with and what you don't really know what you're not living with is because I've heard a d- couple different people talk about, you know, taking ayahuasca and then they're like, Oh, you know, once I met my demons or whatever it is, I've never done it and for the record. <laughs> just going off hearsay. So uh, what I've heard on other podcasts, what people talk about it, but just talking about, Oh, you know, they relived that trauma and they made amends with it. Now they feel so much better. It can live their life in a more stress-free, stress-free care, carefree way, I guess. And this, and I, and I guess what I'm getting at is this, I, that stuff like that never occurred to me is that how much, you know, micro trauma or major trauma that people are actually living with and actually what it's impairing on a person within himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's fascinating. I love the research, particularly in that area of like psychedelic research that's, you know, coming out of legitimate, you know, universities and other institutions oh. for microdosing, I think is fascinating. So I think there's definitely some stuff that's going to be coming out in the next couple of years. Yeah. And with the legalization of it all, you know, John, John Hopkins University is doing one study with it and just using uh, psychedelics to help people with uh, brain injuries and even like PTSD, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people seem to be microdosing now and I don't know a lot about it, but I don't know. I've heard some people that people that I do do know that have done it have talked about it's put them in a different mood compared to other people say that they have more of a stress-free daily life, just you know, using small amounts of putting in their tea and drinking it or however they did it. But and I guess just like you know, with nutrition and hormones and everything else, what you're feeding yourself, whatever diet you're on, it's not always going to react the way it does for person X versus person Y. Yes, that kind of makes sense. But anyway, but I wanted to ask you before I forget about it that you know you said you got into bodybuilding. Was that after Mm -hmm. college? So the difference, like you were actually a bodybuilder compared to was it the figure model figure competitions, or is that one and the same? So yeah, actually, that's a great question. So I did get into it after college. So after college went, took care of my mom after she passed, I'd say probably three months after that, I found myself in a very kind of dark, depressed place, you know, still not feeling good about myself physically, mentally. Um, I also, you know, coming out of college and going straight into that caregiver mode. Um, you know, I grew up as an athlete. I grew up as a pretty high achieving student. And so I always had that like next metric of what I was working toward. And after college, I, and then after losing my mom, I just kind of felt like I was flailing through life. Like I didn't have a goal that I was actively working toward. I didn't really know what I was super passionate about. I was trying to work through all my grief and all of that. And so I went back to what I knew and that was, you know, sport athletics, you know, physical fitness, things like that. And so I hired a coach to help me basically just feel better, give myself a goal. And she kind of talked me into going into um, fitness competitions. So I competed with the WBFF. That's a little bit different than NPC or IFBB, which are your more typical bodybuilding organizations. Um, So I did bikini and fitness were my two categories. So a little less intense for lack of a better word than like a figure competitor or a true bodybuilding competitor. Um, Yeah. But yeah, still still intense to some degree, but it was, it was fun. Um, but I definitely witnessed both in myself and in the industry, like going from one extreme to the other, where I was like, so obsessed with what I ate, like my life revolved around my food, around my training and, um, you know, served me at that time. But I quickly started to see where my own patterns were becoming disordered, whether it was with food, with body image. Um, you know, like I remember the first time I went to Canada to visit two friends and I was like, not going to be able to work out for six days. And I was like, Oh my God, like what's going to happen to me. And plot twist, nothing happened. I had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so going back a little bit though, I mean, you know, you said you play collegiate basketball and then you got into this, did did that kind of meet the same needs as you got from playing collegiate basketball, I guess, you know, you got the same competitive kind of thing and, you know, you wanted to have, I guess, the same type of performance mode, that athletic mindset, that competitive mindset. Is that kind of, did it meet the need, I guess, or meet the, yes. of, of what you want? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Okay. At that time, it definitely met the need. So for me, like I wanted something that I could laser focus in on and just, you know, 
show up to the gym, get in my zone, um, get in that rhythm. For me, it was like meditation. It was almost like going to therapy, um, going to the gym, you know, I'm sure you know about that. Um, and so in that sense, you know, having that, that discipline and that structure to kind of guide me and to create that mental toughness, um, was definitely kind of one and the same. Now I will say it was definitely different going into a sport where you're judged on aesthetic versus performance. So, you know, I played basketball, I did volleyball, I ran track is uh, in high school. And um, so, you know, everything was performance based. So that was a little different. And, you know, that's something that still to this day, I kind of miss is that performance aspect. Um, And then of course, the team aspect of, you know, team sports, I love team sports, I love working with others, I think that we're stronger together. And so you know, there were definitely elements of those things that were missing. But as far as the cultivating that mental discipline, um, and just, you know, creating that structure to show up for myself every single day, it definitely fulfilled that need. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, just because, you know, I played sports in high school, and then in college at a few intramurals. And when I found CrossFit, it met that whole wholeness kind of thing for me where it was the competitive side, but you were, you had your social kind of hour too, while you're working out, you're meeting new people. And, you know, you're also putting yourself through a, a grind of a workout and just finding out how physically and mentally tough you were along people who, you know, are fired, you know, work for the fire department, police department, or just other people who are just trying to get in some type of shape and, you know, just feed that competitive hunger they might have within Mm -hmm. so yeah and i've been doing it for the past 10 years but just everything you said like i've met some of the best people you know i have through my life and i've competed with a bunch of people as a team 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 competitions and it's just it's like it's just my thing like it makes sense to me to keep doing this and even you know i'm a young 36 right now but it's just there's people out there saying like oh you're 36 why you keep doing this stuff and why do you go six days a week and and it's like well you know i mean not only just from the physical standpoint but as we've kind of been talking about this whole time it's just the mental thing of it though is just that man if i didn't do it i don't know what i would do i mean like i, I and i think about that a lot that you know when i leave my nine to five job you know going home it's like what am i just gonna go home and sit there and watch netflix and eat doritos i mean I mean, I guess I could take up golf again or something, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, this is like, this is my thing just because it's like an all in one compass of like, just like I said, the physical, social, you know, getting your stress out, you know, having bro conversations with the boys and just throwing back a little bit. And so, yeah, and I get what you mean. Just, you know, moving into something like that. It's like, thank you. This is like, where would it? You know, and I kind of wonder, like, where would I have been if I wouldn't have found it? I mean, I, I think I still probably would have been working out on campus, I guess. I mean, I still worked out, don't get me wrong, but it was just not on campus, but in a traditional gym. But I don't know if it would have been the same, I guess, is where I'm getting right. at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely, I love going to the gym and just knocking out a workout, but there's definitely something about having that supportive environment to like push each other, to yes. you know, cheer each other on. Um, and I, I've, I've admittedly never truly done CrossFit myself. I've done some similar iterations. I'm open to it though. So maybe I will try it in 2023, but I do like, that is something when I see the CrossFit community, I think is awesome because like, even though you know, you're competing for your performance, like you do still have that team environment. And there is that support and that camaraderie. And I think that, you know, we're social creatures. So I think that when you can bring that element of fitness in with the community aspect, it just makes it that much more powerful. Yeah, it's one of the things that I mean, I advocate, obviously, for CrossFit a lot on here. And just like I said, just with everything that it's been my thing. But ultimately, I don't really care. Quite CrossFit's always got a bunch of I guess shade thrown at it, I guess is a good way to put it. But I mean, ultimately like I, and people think that I think if you don't do CrossFit then I won't like you or whatever. And it's like, and that's not what I try to say. I just like CrossFit has worked for me and it's, you know, made me the person I am today as far as mentally and the best shape of my life, I guess you could say in that. And I guess what I'm, my point is that, you know, I, if as long as people are moving and doing something that is making them happy and being healthy and not complaining that I don't care what it is, you know, whether it's, you know, Zumba, yoga, you know, just running. I mean, hell, I mean, I love all that stuff. I've done all that stuff when I was teaching on campus and stuff. Um, and it's fun. But so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's just my point. It doesn't have to be CrossFit. It's just like do something. You know, like if, if you're not healthy, find something that will make you healthy in a way that you want to be, I guess. And you know all about that, too. Yeah, yeah I love that. What I just got from that is find something that's going to make you out of breath enough that you can't complain. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that it gets on my nerves so much. And, and 
it's almost a pet peeve, I guess, is what I'm trying to say that, you know, when people start talking about, you know, not being able to do X and Y and Z and just that, oh, you know, I'm not going to go park at the end of the parking lot because it's going to, I'll be out of breath by the time I get there. And it's like, maybe that should be the first red flag, bro. Like, <laughs> like why you should do it. <laughs> but yeah, if you're walking from one end of the parking lot, that, and then, you know, not hating on anybody who can or can't do this, but it's just like, well, if you're talk, if you're complaining about being unhealthy and then that's something like, that happens like, well, maybe you should just go outside and walk around your neighborhood, you know, maybe two or three days a week, start there and see what happens. Totally. So, but when you started getting pretty serious in the whole nutrition game, right? Like, is that, was that with during your bodybuilding days? Is that because obviously you were probably, I guess, trying to think of like over and over analyzing every little thing you ate, correct? Yeah. And what, yeah. work, what doesn't work and right. Yeah, no, definitely. I was very fortunate to have a great coach who was able to guide me in that area um, and provided, you know, all of the structure I needed from the bodybuilding aspect. But nutrition was actually one of the first areas that was really like where I wanted to learn whether that was like self-study. It was my first certification. So I was a certified nutrition coach before I ever went into, you know, getting a personal training certification. And then nice. basically all of my certifications since that have been some iteration of like integrative nutrition or functional nutrition. Um, and so, yeah, for me, the nutrition aspect, it really started because when my mom was sick, I remembered, um, her one, she had one primary care doctor, which, you know, when you have cancer, like your primary care doctor is not doing a lot. They're like adjusting your blood pressure medication. And then, you know, you're going to your oncologist and wow. all your other specialists for things, but no one ever talked to us about diet. And it wasn't something I thought about until we were in her primary care doctor's office one day. And he mentioned like, by the way, you should, you know, probably eat like primarily plant-based oh. and, or he said like, you should eat more plant-based foods. It was something, it was very vague. And at the time, like, I was like, okay, great. Like plants, vegetables, cool. Like what, so we just eat more broccoli. Like, what do you mean? Um, and like, that was it. That's all he said. And that was Thanks. about, you know, cancer and, and why someone gets cancer and what, you know, potentially plays into that, um, from a pathology standpoint and, um, what exacerbates that issue. And I started, you know, learning about food and the role of nutrition and disease in general and, and how it can be so powerful to prevent or to contribute. Um, and when I learned that literally like cancer cells feed off of sugar, I got really, really, really pissed off because when my mom was sick, you know, she, in her mind, she was like, I only have, you know, X amount of months to live. I'm going to enjoy it. So she would like be like, Hey, let's go to Dairy Queen. And I'd be like, okay, my mom wants Dairy Queen. I'm going to take her to Dairy Queen. You know, meanwhile, like, do I think that, you know, we could have saved her life had we not gone to Dairy Queen? Maybe not. But like the reality is, is that we were giving her and she, you know, was asking for things that were directly, um, you know, creating or exacerbating the issue that was already at play. Meanwhile, you know, we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for medical care for a condition like that. And not one person talks to you about the importance of food. And so I just was like floored afterward when I learned this at just the, the medical system in this country, which, you know, I try not to dog on it all the time because it, it's wonderful for certain things. It has its time and place. Absolutely. Um, but the fact that that's such a critical component in giving the body the ability to kind of help heal itself and help the process and that no one was talking about that. So for me, nutrition was like, like this big light bulb that was like, oh, there's clearly a huge gap here with what people know. And then as I, of course, I started learning, um, I realized and this still kind of happens, you know, what I thought was true or what I thought was, um, you know, the answer when it came to nutrition isn't always the case. And so, you know, I realized how much misinformation is out there, how much lack of education is out there and how much, um, you know, are the people that we look up to in the medical community, how much that's not a part of even their training. So of course they don't talk about it because, you know, a lot of them don't actually know that much about it either. And that's scary to me. Yeah. So. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read a statistic or heard it somewhere where medical doctors only have to do like eight hours of nutrition or something. Yeah, it's wild. So my sister is a doctor and she is amazing. She's a podiatrist, um, amazing at what she does. I think had to take one nutrition class, which granted she's working on feet, but still, um, you know, when you look at how much time and how many hours are spent learning about, you know, anatomy, physiology, biology, um, biochemistry, all of those things, like you would think that we would learn a little bit more about that. And so like, oftentimes she comes to me for, for any question related to nutrition. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. It makes total, well, it doesn't make any sense to only do eight hours just because of so much information and studies that are coming out now about how 
much what you're putting in your body plays into like we we said kind of early in the podcast just what's going on in, with inside the body but and then plus you know people like you i mean i'm glad you're you're out there and you're studying it and learning everything because it's always changing and that it's hard for me like i took me a while but i figured out what works for me you know as far as like I mean, I look at food, food as fuel, really. You know, I'm not, I've never been a foodie. I've never been one of those guys that had, you know, just give me some meat and some fruit. I'm usually pretty happy. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I've been trying meat and fruit lately. And this is maybe a side tangent here just because I've been listening to Paul Saladino and these carnivore guys that's talk about all the meat and then how vegetables are kind of like, they don't want to be eaten now. And, but anyway, that, that just works for me. I'm not advocating for that diet. If some people want to do it, that's fine. But yeah, and I guess that's just my thing is that, you know, just with the all the information being thrown about nutrition and what to do, it's just mind blowing to me. And I'm glad, like I said, I'm just glad that you're out there and you're keeping up with it and you're able to relay the information where if I have questions, you know, I can still come and ask you about it or whatever. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I'll be completely honest. There's, you know, a, a lot of great people, a handful that come to mind in the industry, specifically on the nutrition side that do a really great job of taking you know, the actual latest, um, you know, scientific research and kind of breaking it down and summarizing the conclusions. I cannot say that I'm out there reading all of the research papers, but I'm certainly, you know, working with whether it's in, you know, I have direct mentors that work in the nutritional biochemistry space or following those people in the industry whom I trust that can, you know, relay the the information to me. So that way I can relay it to clients, to, um, you know, the masses, to the people who are just looking to live healthier lives. But earlier in the podcast, and you, I think you said you kind of geared everything towards women, right? And helping women out with their goals and nutrition and whatever it is. Is, is there a reason why you told you, I mean, you solely focus on women or is it just? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I do primarily work with women. I've worked with men in the past and I'm certainly open to it. Um, no, I just, I think it's because as a woman, I, um, you know, I have that shared experience with women. I know for a lot of the women I work with, we go really deep, not only in, you know, the fitness nutrition space, but I encourage clients to, um, to share whatever is going on in their life, whether that's, you know, in their career in their relationship, because for me, it all impacts, you know, the stress levels that they're dealing with, um, their lifestyle, what they're choosing to do, what's feasible for them, what's capable for them, um, and all of that. And so, for me, I have just found that women tend to gravitate to me more so than men for things like that. And it probably has something to do with, you know, my marketing and my branding and all of those things. Um, but yeah, no, with, with my women, we just, I like to make it a safe space as cheesy as that sounds. Um, but I'm like, I am not a therapist, but you know, if you have some shit that's been going on, I hope I'm allowed to say that on here. Um, okay. (laughs) Um, yeah. If you have things that are going on that aren't even related to health and fitness, like, you know, I hold space for that too. And so, um, I think for a lot of women, because, and I speak to this because I am a woman, so I can't speak from a man's point of view necessarily. Um, but you know, just a lot of women kind of whether it's placed upon them or they placed upon themselves, carry a lot of, of burden and weight, um, you know, for taking care of their families, mm-hmm. also having careers, you know, wanting to um, show up as a boss and, you know, achieve all these goals. And I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot for a woman or a man. And so, um, you know, I try to encourage my clients to look at our relationship in a holistic fashion where we can have those conversations we can work through those things together even if it doesn't seem like it's directly related to their nutrition or fitness in my opinion it all is well yeah i mean and i can relate to that a lot just because in my experiences when looking for at people for advice or whatever based on whatever it be you know new training program nutrition x y and z like you just don't want to okay maybe this is personally speaking you know, i just don't want to go to a person and just say hey give me the training program or hey give me what diet to do you know, oh, keto, okay, I'll go do that. No big deal, right? Yeah. But, you know, but just actually, and maybe this is just because of me started this podcast or, you know, learning more about people and human psychology or whatever, but just kind of having these long form talks with people like yourself and actually just, you know, figuring out, you know, the who, what, when, where, how and why or whatever it's called that rather than just you just saying, hey, do this because it works, you know, it's just like, well, why does she think this? You know, she's got to have reasoning behind this rather than just, you know, hey, this is just what science says. 
you'll be healthy and you'll live till 150 or whatever. Right. But, and it's just that, Oh, she's doing her homework. Okay. She's actually learning like how my daily life is, you know, what my stress intake is. And, you know, if I, do I have a family and like, what do I do when I'm not working out? And mm-hmm. stuff like that. And like a lot of that means a lot to me. And I guess in this modern world, because, you know, I'm one of those people who feel like I don't have a lot of people with those. I can have those conversations with, and maybe that's, and this is a, another thing we don't have, I don't, we don't have to go down, but just maybe that's just like trust issues or just, you know, the way I've been wired or what, but I always feel better though, when I can say like, Hey, this is everything that I'm doing and this, and now that you know it, and you know, now I don't know how to get from point A to point B. So you, you can help me to get to that point. Right? Yeah, no, I think that. that yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All makes perfect sense. That's, I think that's super valid. And I think that's actually a very like shared experience or feeling by a lot of people. Like, you know, we want to be heard. We want to be seen by, by others. And so, um, and I don't think we get a lot of that. Everybody's so busy, you know, we're constantly like moving from one thing to the next thing. And so I think to like, whether it's, you know, as a client or as a coach or a practitioner to be able to provide that and hold space for someone to basically feel like they're being seen and feel like they're being heard even if you're not like providing an answer necessarily, just allowing them to like let go of that because we really do carry so much from our daily lives, um, I think is super powerful. And I think it's important. And I think that's, you know, that's what makes like nutrition's important. A hundred percent training's important. A hundred percent, you know, lifestyle's important, but, um, I think that kind of deep connection and, and giving someone that ability and that outlet, um, to let go of the things that are they're carrying around with them um, is what makes a coaching client relationship just that much more, I don't know, deep and meaningful, really. Now, do you think that coaching relationship that you just said that it works better, you know, woman to woman or man to man, just, just not, based on anything or reason? Not, I don't. I don't think so. I think, um, I think it depends maybe on a couple things. So potentially, I mean, I think regardless of whether it's woman to woman, man to man, woman to man, I think that it has to be someone energetically that you vibe with, that you feel safe with, that you feel comfortable with. And that doesn't always happen right away. But, um, so for instance, like people are always like, so what's, you know, what's your process when you start working with people? And I'm like, well, first and foremost, we have a phone call because I want to make sure I'm a good fit for them. And they're a good fit for me, not just skill set wise with what I can help them with. But like, if I if they just don't vibe with me or vice versa, then I don't think we're going to get the most out of the relationship. So I think that like sitting down and having a conversation like you and I are having, um, and getting to know the person is super important. And so um, I mean, I, I honestly, like I love masculine energy as well. I'm also you know, I tend to like, stay in that space a lot of times. And so like my mentor right now is, is a man, he's not my health coach per se. Um, but you know, I think it really depends on the person and what kind of energy you gravitate toward. Um, and, you know, just connecting with that individual and feeling, you know, safe and, and such like you can, you know, open up to that person, I think is the most important thing. And, um, I think some people, some women, would just prefer working with a woman that just makes them feel more comfortable. Um, like I'm someone I could work with a man or a woman. I'm just, you know, as long as it's the right, right. person. Yeah. 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 
Uh, and I guess the reason I asked that was because in, in our gym, we have, it's predominantly male coaches with one female coach. And sometimes we do these, well, not sometimes we do these on ramp things before we actually, it's like a test or kind of just like a, what's the word am I looking for? An introduction, like CrossFit what I want before we actually just say, Hey, here, here's the class. Good luck. You know, sink or swim, bro. <laughs> but there's some people who either, you know, either get paired with the female coach and they're a male and they probably have a strong ego about themselves. And, you know, her and I've had these conversations where it's just that she felt like she didn't really vibe with them, that it was one of these that she wondered if, you know, I wonder if you would have had him as your, in your own ramp class or whatever, if he would have listened to you more or took you more serious and things like that. So, and, and I guess why I asked that was just because I see, and I've seen it a couple of times where, you know, I guess they have this huge machismo ego and they won't leave it at the door and they think they know more just because they're a male and they probably have that alpha mentality. But whereas with me, it's just that, so, you know, like you said about having this long form conversation, it's like, I don't care if you're he, she, or they, or whatever the pronouns are right now. But usually it's just for me, it's just like, Hey, what do you know? You know, what is your background? I mean, did you just, you know, pick up something off the street and just start saying like, Oh, this is how you should be eating or whatever. Or do you actually really, really know what you're talking about? And that, and I, and I think that's me actually probably being, had my ego checked a lot, especially in competing and with they almost like almost in just daily life, competing in CrossFit and you know taking a few L's in your life when you know that oh shit okay cool I'm maybe I need to work a little bit harder I need to <laughs> you know come back down to earth a little bit being served that piece of humble pie and so and I guess that's why yeah I guess that's why I asked that because and then also sometimes I do know that it is kind of easier maybe for some males to open up to other males rather than just going up to a a female and just saying, Hey, you know, I, this is why I'm so bad, or this is why I'm in this way. And I don't know, you know, this is how I got sick and I don't know how to get better from here. Mm-hmm. And which I wonder that too, if it's kind of the same thing where, you know, I guess women can do that same thing too. It's like woman to woman, you know? Yeah. No, I think a hundred percent. I can see it like both ways. Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like with a man too, like they might feel more comfortable going to a man, but then like also on the flip side, like there might be men who feel more comfortable, like sharing that with a woman because they don't want to feel like they're like demasculinized, whatever. That's not a word. Don't look it up. Uh, But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, I think it really also, yeah, boils down to that person and their personality and, you know, maybe what challenges they're, they're dealing with at the time. But I do think everybody could stand an ego check. I have a friend who his saying is always be humble or be humbled. And I love it. Yeah. That's a good saying. Yeah. I mean, I I never wish anybody to go through, you know, taking an L or being humbled or anything just because it sucks. You know, it's a terrible feeling. It's just, it's just shit, you know I mean? But you have, and I feel like, you know, you being an athlete too, that you have to learn to, you know, take these, Mm -hmm. these L's or losses or whatever you want to say. And that, and you can either do whatever from there with them. You can either run with it to say, Hey, this will make me better. I'll learn from this and you know, it won't happen next time or just let it beat you down and just become sick, I guess, which yeah. is probably not the great way of putting it, but <laughs> I've just seen where people just, and in my experience, I've seen people like, you know, I was doing a street conditioning inter- internship in uh, Florida and just where people would get, you know, basically butthurt over, I don't know, whatever it was, taking that L or just knowing that they did something completely wrong and they just let it eat at him and eat at him and eat at him. And just, it was like a negative loop and they just kept going down and down. And I was like, bro, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's one of those things that when I see stuff like that, it's like, I just don't get it in people like, Hey, I mean, okay, it sucked. I know, but turn things around. I mean, life's not over. Let's do this. And some people just can't get out of it and I they can't get it out of their own way, I guess. And and I've just never understood that. And, and I guess that's because I've, I've beat it and I've kind of changed my mentality and just know that how to tackle it now when I see things like this or when it does, when I do go through it, I'm not putting myself on a high horse or anything or pedestal, but I guess I just sometimes just don't understand that mentality, you know, it's like, that make sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm totally in the same boat as you. I think it kind of goes down to you know, having a, a fix versus a growth mindset. But I think that, and one of the things that I love about fitness or sports is it's such a great parallel to life. Like I also don't wish, you know, any of that on anyone, but the truth is, is that whether it's in 
a sport in fitness or elsewhere, everybody is going to take an L at some point. Like life is going to throw you one if it hasn't already, if it hasn't already, and you're listening to this podcast, good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's going to throw it one way or the other, whether that's, you know, a loss or going through something super challenging in life or whether that is in some kind of competition. And so I think that, um, you know, learning how to navigate that and learning how to use that. I always tell my clients, your pain is your power. So learning how to take that pain and, and turn it into something that fuels you. Yeah. Um, it's something that, you know, I think self-reflection is a beautiful thing that can come from those situations, but that is also a learned skill. And I think that as athletes, you know, people who grew up playing sports, that is one of the biggest benefits, in my opinion, it's not just, you know, being physically fit, it's learning how to have mental discipline, it's learning how to take the wins, take the losses, um, and realize that everything is finite, nothing lasts forever. So you, your wins don't, don't last forever, your losses don't last forever. And, um, you know, you, whatever you choose to do with them literally all comes down to like, what's going on in between here. And I think that's super powerful. And I think that people can take those, those lessons that they, you know, have in the CrossFit gym or in the weight room or playing a sport and translate that into whatever else life throws at them that, you know, is might be more challenging in the future, but it's all a parallel. That's just the, such the cool thing about sports. Like, mm, yeah. And, and going back and just so the audience knows and here's you and are listening or watching to this. So and I, and I didn't want to skip over it. Just that when you first have uh, setting up a client, I guess, and you said you do initially a phone call, right? And so once you figure out like, hey, I, I probably can help this person, that what's the next step? I mean, do you start to learn, you know, hey, you know, what do you like to eat? Do you have any food allergies? What's your training like? I mean, just so people kind of get a sense of, and I know you've, I think you said you've talked about that plenty of times before, but oh, it's okay. yeah, <laughs> so the audience kind of knows like, hey, who's never heard of you or whatever before. Right. It's like, hey, what am I getting into here? If I want to go. Yeah, yeah no, we, so we do the phone call, Um, you know, some kind of conversation. If we both determine it's a good fit and we want to move forward, I have a pretty lengthy intake process. So, you know, I have my intake form, like most coaches do. It's very much like going to your doctor and filling, you know, for the first time they give you like a stack of new patient paperwork. Mine's not as scary, but, um, it is, it's all, you know, health, health history based, um, nutrition, wellness, lifestyle, all of those things. I ask a lot of questions. Um, so we'll do like a, a dietary assessment. We'll keep a food journal for four to five days to four to five days, um, just so I can get a sense of where someone's at. Um, and I always encourage clients to like, I actually had a new client today who was like, I might change what I eat a little bit. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want you to just do what you normally do. Like this is, there's no judgment here. Um, then the more accurate of a baseline I can get, the better I can create a plan that's going to help you. Um, so I have a, you know, a lengthy intake form. I have a couple of additional assessments that I like to give people just to gauge things like gut health, hormone health, um, things like that. Obviously if they have other health challenges present, we talk about those. Um, if they have lab work from, you know, other doctors, I do have um, a third party lab company that I can get labs done for clients. It's not typically the first thing I go to because um, I like to be mindful of, you know, financial commitments and all of that with people. But if they have lab work that they've gotten done from another doctor or practitioner, we can certainly look at that as well. And basically we take all of this information, you know, we'll do things too, like um, their check-in photos. We'll look at actually like what's going on with their, their biometrics and um, all of that. But um, yeah, we take all of that info and, you know, depending on what that kind of looks like versus what their goal is and where they want to go to, what the time frame is that we're looking at. That's how we kind of start figuring out, okay, what, you know, how can we get this person momentum, um, you know, out of the gates? How can we start getting them some quick wins? What are going to be the biggest things to, you know, help move them along? And also, you know, what are those really foundational things? Like it would make no sense to go into a super, like nuanced nutritional strategy. If someone can't just like consistently eat high quality food, 80 to 90% of the time, or, um, you know, if somebody's like overtraining or maybe on the flip side, not moving at all, like, you know, we don't need to get super complex with our training strategy. If they're just sitting on their butt watching Netflix all day, um, or, you know, if they're not sleeping well or consistently. And so obviously we take all of that into consideration because those really are the foundations of optimal health, regardless of what the specific goal is. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, I find too, when it comes to things like mindset, um, I ask questions in my intake process, like 
about how clients view themselves. You know, what is their self-talk like? And I actually, I ask them specific questions um, and give them an opportunity to start opening up. But I find a lot of those things unfold as the, the coaching relationship progresses and that trust is start to, you know, be built and we become comfortable with each other. And then, you know, other things come up and it gives you the opportunity to, to tweak and work as you go. I like that. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's a good philosophy, I think. And that, I mean, did you just kind of develop that through trial and error? Or was this something that, you know, through you, I know you, I think you've said you had a couple of mentors and that, you know, you found out what worked for you and that what doesn't work for you. And it's, Hey, you know, I'm going to take everything that I do like and what I do know. And just say, hey, let's start spreading it to these people, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's typically my style with things, whether it's my intake process or like my program in general is like learning as much as I can and then pulling what I feel is the most relevant to what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously my former coaches, my mentors, of course, that has been, you know, such a guiding factor in, in how I do things. But also, you know, I've, I've worked with coaches in the past where they were a great example of what I wanted to do, but also what I didn't want to do. And so I think learning, you know, what's not in alignment for you is also just as important when you're learning from other people. Um, and then, you know, to be honest with the intake process, I just got really tired of backtracking, like, you know, being four weeks in with a client and being like, did I, did I ask this question? Did I get this information from them? And so I'm like, no, uh, we have to do it all up for, you know, as much as we can up front, obviously things come up and we're constantly in a discovery phase when we're, we're tweaking and, and working with someone, but yeah. And, and kind of touching on philosophy, I mean, do you, I mean, do you have certain exercise protocols you push? I mean, your certain nutrition you push towards those, or do you just kind of just say, you know, hey, I've, I'm very aware of intermittent fasting, keto, carnivore. Well, I don't know what people are doing now, Whole30. Like, I don't even know if there's, <laughs> but I mean, do you kind of lean towards one of those? You know, like I said, like, hey, or you just start to like experience and find out what's working for that person. Yeah, that's a great question. Now, I don't push any one particular diet or style of eating. It really depends on the person. Like, for instance, I have a client right now um, who has had some very challenging gut health um, challenges, and she's on what's called autoimmune paleo. So it's a slightly stricter version of paleo. Um, and I would not normally want to put someone on that. Like, I literally like that's not you know, something that's really enjoyable, but she has so many food triggers. Um, so that was what kind of prompted the, you know, going into that and working for a month or two in that phase. And she's rocking it. She's been so great. Um, but that's not something I would generally want to do with someone if I didn't have to. Um, I think one of the most important things for people to understand too, when it comes to nutrition, um, the foundations are the foundations for reason. So, you know, quality foods, um, making sure that we're having, even if you're in a calorie deficit, like, let's say you're going into a fat loss phase. Um, I mean, you can, be in a calorie deficit and still be getting sufficient micronutrients. So just because, you know, we are not, you know, our energy expenditure is more than our energy intake, you know, we can still prioritize micronutrient rich foods, we can supplement properly. Um, so obviously, we want to make sure that regardless of what kind of phase we're in, what kind of diet strategy we're doing that we have sufficient micronutrients, um, we have, you know, sufficient water intake, all of the other things are in place. Um, but I could literally make a use case against, you know, every single diet and for every single diet. So I think it's sure. so individual based on, you know, the health challenges someone's experiencing also adherence too. That's a big thing that I think a lot of people don't think of. And I tell clients all the time when they ask me like, well, what, what's the best diet or what's the best, you know, it was exercise plan. And I'm like, well, you know, it's twofold, right? So like, A, it has to be congruent with what your goal is because I've seen people eat or exercise in such a manner that is not congruent with their goal, right? Like CrossFit's awesome. If you want to like, if you want to be a bodybuilder though, like just doing CrossFit's not going to be the modality exactly. for you. Um, <laughs> right. And so like, you know, also if you're training for performance, but you're like, you know, cutting carbs out completely, unless you truly are a fat adapted athlete, like that's going to be really difficult, right? Especially if you're, you know, using um, the energy systems that are required for like shorter, more powerful bursts of activity. And so I think that for people to understand that whatever strategy you take needs to be congruent with your goal, but on the like flip side, it also has to be adherable. So I could give you literally the best plan in the world. And if it's just totally, if you're not going to follow it, then it does not matter how great it is. Uh, so this is, that's like my two, my two pronged foundational approach. And then the nuances from there, um, you know, it, base, 
it's based on basically how well someone can adhere to something. Um, and if I truly feel like it's a fit. So I, you know, I think you talked earlier on, um, education sort of, and like people understanding, you know, why behind things. And I'm a big proponent of that. Like, um, for clients to ask me why we're, I, I try to explain it to them, but I'm like, if you ever feel confused about why we're doing it, ask me, because if, if I can't give you a true answer of why we're taking a certain approach, then I'm not a very good coach. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I think that people are more empowered to do what they need to do when they understand why they're doing it. Yeah. You know, and talking on education and, and it was 2016 or 2017, and when I started to get, yeah, that's when I guess I started getting more serious about my nutrition because I was about five or four years in CrossFit. And also, I just wanted to lean out for whatever reason. I was kind of going through a tough, I can be honest with you, I was going through a breakup and you know, she broke my heart. So I was like, I want to lean out. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So anyway, but, and so I worked with, and I don't know if you've heard, if you've heard of them, but Renaissance periodization. I RPI. think so. Yeah, they're yeah. they're big in like the CrossFit, and I, I think they have done like some swimsuit competition people. Anyway, they were just a whole nother nutrition kind of people. And so when I started working with them, that you know I did the whole cut lean diet thing template or whatever, and they gave me this thing like, hey, you're supposed to only eat like four ounces of protein for breakfast and whatever it is for lunch, and that was like my first mind blowing experiment, not experiment, but ex experience. When I saw like weighed by chicken breast, I was like, all right, this is probably about four ounces. And it was like, you know, eight or nine. I forgot what it was. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not even close to what I thought it was. <laughs> and then, you know, like I had to eat some spinach and stuff. And I was like, damn, well, no wonder. And I mean, I'm not overweight by any means. I've never have been. I've just been lucky in that sense where I've always just, you know, just had that a good body type and just always worked out. But, you know, I want, like I said, when I wanted to get down, I forgot what I got down to like four or five, six percent body fat. And that it was like, oh, wow that I'm not eating like I thought I was eating. You know, you think you're eating clean and you're healthy and whatever. And it's just like, oh, and I'm not saying that's not chicken's not and spinach is not eat clean or healthy, but it's not going to give you the goals just because of what you think you might have saw on. You remember bodybuilding.com? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. So They're like still around. Too. Oh, are they? Okay. Well, I don't want to put them down because I used them a lot in college and just, and I don't know where they got their information from, or if it was just random people who would post up, but it was like, oh, you know, this is the Bible right here. Whatever they're doing and whatever they're eat, saying, I, I'll eat, if I eat cans of tuna, I'm going to be, you know, look like, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I guess. <laughs> so, and that was when it started to become to me is like, okay, let's start, you know, going down these rabbit holes and learning and, and stuff. And, and with those fines that or with those, I guess, fines for me that do you know who Dr. Lane Norton is? Yeah, actually. So he is yes. in Tampa. Yeah. not yeah. So He's, He's someone who, like, from a nutrition perspective, when it comes to like actually breaking down research, exactly. He, yeah, but he's exactly. in the research, so he's good to follow. That was exactly my point right there. Is that you know I've learned that and I listened to him on podcasts and just that oh you know he's actually reading this shit and he's actually studying it and just you know where people you know do you ever hear that stupid social I don't know if it's a social narrative but a room social rumor where Diet Coke will give you cancer or something and yes and I think I heard him talking about how that it really he's like well maybe if you're probably drinking two liters of it every day but I mean I'm pretty sure one's not going to hurt you anytime and I probably butchered that whole statement that he made but he's like oh, I have a Diet Coke why not or whatever but and, and one thing I wanted to ask you since we brought him up though and just to get your yeah, your thoughts on this, like, you know, the power of suggestion and like the placebo effect. Oh, I love this topic. Please. Oh, let's go. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been, that's when I, he talked about it on a podcast maybe a week or two ago. And like ever since then, I was like, ooh, I need to learn more about this. So go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Share no, I mean, I, I don't know what you want me to say about it, but everything. I mean, I mean, yes. I, mean I know we're getting a little short on time here, but just your thoughts and just like, like, I think there's something to it. And he actually said there was actually some studies that are actually, what's the word am I looking for approving um saying that it's there is you know it works oh 100 percent. I don't yeah. think he was saying that go out there and just tell yourself you're going to go run a marathon when you never have ran one and just because you're telling yourself you can you'll do it but there is some science behind it that works so I guess that's totally. that's the only thing I've found out so far so yeah I would love to <laughs> hey that's all you need to know no that's great I I will you know full transparency I can't speak probably to the level of the actual research being done as someone like Lane Norton could um that's okay. Uh oh. We have a pharmaceutical company um, that is introducing a new drug, and they obviously going through a you know controlled trial have to offer a placebo to you know a, a control group, and so there's been you know I don't I mean I don't even know because I can't cite it, but like countless um, 
countless recordings essentially of showing that the placebo drug for certain drugs can mm-hmm. be just as effective, sometimes more effective or almost as effective as, you know, the actual drug itself. And so I think, you know, that at a very baseline level shows what the power of suggestion does. Right. And I think, um, one of the keys to, like you said, yeah, it's not about just like going out there and like being like, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon. Like, I think that, when it comes to something like belief, and that's so ambiguous, right? Like we can't really measure belief. We can't really measure emotions very much. And I think that's why like those things have not been part of the scientific community for so long. And now they are like becoming more researched. Um, But like, there has to be some, you know, true level of belief, like at a very deep subconscious level, right? So like, if you think about it from a, a perspective of medicine, in my opinion, why a placebo drug can work so well for people is because people trust doctors, right? Like we look up to the medical establishment. So if a doctor or someone who's administering this drug, whom we trust, we think they're an expert, they, you know, they know all these things. We just kind of release that control almost to them. And they tell us that this is the drug that's going to heal us. Even if it's a sugar pill, like we already like that suggestibility where we are primed, our brains are primed to receive that suggestion. Um, So I think when you look at anything in life and you're looking at like the power of belief, I think there's um, actually, I think it's a term that's called like the ladder of believability. So it's like, if I were to go out and say like, I'm going to be a, you know, a a mega billionaire, like there's part of my brain that like, doesn't believe that because I haven't taken like the five steps before that, (laughs) you know what I mean? So like when you're like working to change your beliefs, whether it's, you know, with your health, your fitness, or just anywhere in life. Um, I think that like with anything, taking incremental steps, um, to train your brain, to be open to the suggestions that don't seem quite as far-fetched, um, is what kind of helps you to move along that scale. There was a researcher, he's still alive, actually, um, Bruce Lipton. He has a book called The Biology of Belief. It is amazing. Please write it down, read it. Right now. Um, and he was a professor, PhD, um, researcher, and he was like one of the first people to kind of be on the forefront of I think the placebo effect, the nocebo effect. So that's kind of the the opposite side of the coin. Yeah. Um, and his book is great. And then there's also um she has passed, but a researcher from the 70s, her name is Candace Pert. And I believe she was responsible for finding the dopamine receptor, I believe. I believe. Um, and she has a great book. It's very it's very like science heavy. So like I've, you know, I'll read it and I kind of have to like pause and put it down for a few minutes um, and kind of read it in sections, but it's called the molecules of emotion. And that kind of ties into the, um, the placebo effect, but she actually talks more specifically about how, when we have, you know, thoughts or beliefs, you know, if we believe that we suck, like we create this feeling of like, oh, I suck, right? Like that is actually, um, you know, a thought and a belief that creates a feeling actually produces a tangible result in the body through um, neuropeptides and other chemical messengers. And so her research was very much on how something like um, a belief or a thought, how it actually plays out and affects you from a physiological perspective, which I think is awesome. Um, and I think that also kind of ties into why something like the placebo effect works or, you know, maybe doesn't work subsequently for certain people, um, because that level of believability has the ability to produce a physiological effect. So yeah, those are some two, like they're like OG researchers in the space. And I just get super hyped on this topic because I feel like it's something that like science has kind of strayed away from for so many years and now they're not. And it's so cool to like, see, you know, so much more of this coming out and, and people, you know, like Lane Norton and other folks who have big presence on social media and other platforms to be talking about it. Well, I mean, and real quick though, just with that thought that I think, and this is maybe my opinion, well, this is my opinion, <laughs> that <laughs> that in those days, like 60s, 70s, 80s, like if you were to maybe talk like that about saying the power of suggestion and that there's something to it, that you're almost labeled as a person who was kind of what's the word like hippie-ish I guess yeah. that it was just kind of thrown aside where it was just you're kind of dumb for thinking that I guess is what I'm trying to say but now and I don't know if it's because of information and podcasting and this all the research that's coming out people like Dr. Lake Norton where like topics like like that are like kind of sexy like for a better word like you 
like, hey, yeah, let's talk about it. that's cool. Like, hey, what's on it? What, what do you know? What do you know? Hey, yeah, let's explore these ideas. So, yeah, yeah I'm right. biased. I think it's sexy, but yeah, it's exciting and it's fun to talk about. <laughs> but anyway, all right. But yeah, again, I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you being here. Um, if people want to find you or anything you want to plug and promote and all that good stuff, Allie, do that. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me. I'm primarily active on Instagram. My handle is at Allie Cass Health, and then my website is www.alliecasshealth. Um, if you enjoyed this or resonated with anything that we talked about, I'd love to just you know connect with you. Um, you know, hear what what you need help with, whatever, whatever it is. I'm I love this conversation. I'm all about the the human connection, especially after the last few years. So um, yeah, if this is something that sounded fun for you, then let's connect. Mm. Well, you're a badass person. Thank you for being here again. I've really enjoyed talking with you. So thank you so much, Chris. It was great to be here. See you, folks. We're out of here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.